This is Jade. This is Carly. And this is Mommy's Tell All. Hello there, Jade. Hi, Carly. How's it going over there in California? You know, it's it's not too bad. My little Brooksy is sick right now, so I'm at home and helping him. Does he have a cold? He he had a fever. He had like it which I know as like parents, it's like so scary. Like you don't know what's like, when do you go to a doctor? You know, it's, I hate it, but he, his fever was up to like 102.8. That's fine now, but he still just has a cough. He's just not himself. And so we're all trying to stay healthy over here, but he's, he's dealing with that. But that's so sad. I mean, there's really like that it's your kids sick. You feel so helpless. It's so hard. It's, I called the doctor like a hundred thousand times when Bella was, woke up with a fever. I didn't, I was just like in major panic mode. I feel like fevers are common and fevers are good, right? It's good that your bo- your baby's body is fighting the illness. Like fevers are good, but they're just, there's something around it that just seems, you know, you just want to control the environment when you're a parent, you want your kid to be healthy and like you can't control a fever. You know, it's just, it's just, I don't know. That's so hard to deal with. It's horrible. Can we also talk about really sad news this week? Yeah, I know that by the time this podcast airs, this will be a little bit later news, but it's still such a tragedy that I feel like we can't not talk about it. I feel like it's just affected the world. Oh, yeah. Kobe Bryant and his daughter died in a helicopter crash. And it really has just, it's rocked the world. It's shaken the world. It's so sad. I think... Besides him being like a basketball legend, like he is a mentor and somebody that especially our generation looked up to as a basketball player, as someone on on the court and off the court as a family man. But I think the hardest part is he died with his daughter and leaving his three other daughters behind and his wife. It's just and all the other I just think about the other families, actually one of the mothers and the daughter who passed goes to the school in my neighborhood or she went the daughter went to the school in my neighborhood the St. Margaret's private school that's five minutes down we walk past it every day when we go on our walk it's five minutes down if you walk and so my neighbors their kids go to the school um it's just so sad I don't know them personally but it feels like it's still deeply affecting me I think about what if that was Emerson? And it's just so sad. But one of the things that I think I've been trying to take away from this is he was at least Kobe and those parents, at least they were with their kids. You know, if I don't know what happened exactly, but if they were able to just hold their kid in that moment. You know how we've talked about like, we have all of these thoughts since we have kids about like the worst possible thing that could happen. Yeah. And One thing that I can't stop thinking about is like how, okay, so let's say you're in like a car accident. I feel like you have like a split second, right? To like panic and then you're you're either just like injured or you're dead. Mm -hmm. I keep thinking about like these horrible thoughts. Think of how scary that was. Like they had, I mean, it was still very fast, obviously, but they had more than a split second to think about what was happening. Like how scary... Like, it would be really scary to go into into death being afraid. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's um, weird right now in this moment. I feel like so many of us, especially parents, are having those thoughts. It's when something like this is this big and it affects 
everybody so deeply. I feel like we all get that fear or that panic, you know, I feel like that's natural. Yeah. I just feel like the, all we can take from this is to have them hold space for them in our hearts and to think about them and to send love that way and to just realize how fragile life is and how we should take advantage of and be grateful for the moments that we do have and especially with our family. I think that he was such a great father too. I've been seeing so many videos coming out on social media and everywhere everywhere else in the media of just interviews and moments with his daughters and his wife. And um, if anything, he now has a legacy of a role model as what a father should be because he was an amazing dad. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I think I, it made me just, you know, sitting on the couch and I had Bella in one arm and Charlie in the other arm. And I was, you know, it's like one of those times that you'd hold him a little bit closer and just be present. We've talked about that even in, you know, our one of our 2020 goals was like, you know, be off your phone more, be present. And it was another eye-opening, be present moment for me. Yeah. So yeah, wishing all the families and all the loved ones affected, just, just sending love their way, I guess is all we can do right now. Today, we do have a guest joining us from Dublin, Ireland. Which is just so cool. It's just so cool. This is our furthest away guest. Yeah, I think so. But we are going to have Sinead Burke on the podcast today. She has her own podcast called As Me with Sinead Burke. And it's all about um, what it's like to actually be you. And she deep dives into her guests and just what they go through. And she's really inspiring. She's a, a little person and she has gone through a lot of adversity to just really stand in who she is. And she's so inspiring. She's loves herself. And I feel like it's going to be fun to listen to her and just learn from her about how we can teach our children to, to be that way. Jade, can you smell me from there? You smell delicious. Do I? Because Right before I put deodorant on, I stank really bad. (laughs) I think it's like all of the hormones. Like hormone levels make me smell so much different than I used to. Absolutely. Well, 100% agree with us. It's a whole different ballgame. It's so weird. The only thing that I have found that works for my body right now is native deodorant in the coconut vanilla scent. Not only do I smell good... But it's also um, aluminum-free and paraben and talc-free, and it's vegan. It's like the only thing that actually works on my body. It's also made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce, like coconut oil and shea butter, nothing that you've never heard of. And this is a deodorant that you can wear every day. You should be able to understand the ingredients, right? You want something on your body that is natural. Yes, absolutely. And it comes in in like a wide variety of options for men, women. It even comes in variety for teens. Do you remember as a teen, like just getting deodorant and being so excited? And it was like the weird deodorants that smelled like, I don't know, like teenage deodorants. Well, you're actually going to, your teenager's going to smell good. Like you're actually going to want to smell them. They're and not going to smell like a bunch of chemicals or different like chemically made fragrances. That's how yeah. I feel like I smelled. 
Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. And there's no risk to try. There's free shipping on every order. And Native offers a 30-day free return and exchanges in the USA, which is amazing. And there's over 9,000 five-star reviews from happy customers who made the switch to Native. We love Native over here. And if you guys want to try it, you can get 20% off your first purchase. Visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code MOMMIES during checkout. That's 20% off your first purchase. Visit nativedeodorant.com with promo code MOMMIES. I don't know if you're like me right now, Carly, but I feel like I'm getting that sense of spring cleaning. And I just want to declutter my house and do a little sparking of joy. And what do you do with all your old stuff? I feel like, I don't feel like there's really, you don't want to do a garage sale anymore. And I feel like that's where technology comes in and the the Mercari app is the best way to sell any of your used goods. It's so easy. I've been using it. I love it. I think you said you sold some of your stuff and it was a good experience as well. It's seriously the easiest app to use. All you have to do is like, I have a Yeti in front of me. I'm going to take a picture of my Yeti cup and then you just go to the next page and it says like, oh, here's a description. Oh, I have a yellow Yeti cup that has my date for my wedding on it. Anyone want to buy this? It is $15. (laughs) And then someone can just go in and buy it immediately. It's that easy. And you can sell anything on there. I've sold hats. I've sold shoes. I'm not going to sell this Yeti cup because it's from my wedding, but I'm hypothetically, I could if I wanted to. It's seriously the most easy app to use and you're selling your stuff and making money and decluttering. Happy 2020. It really is the future. I love that this is that easy to just get rid of anything that you're not using in your house right now. The app has over 500,000 reviews on the App Store with an average of 4.8 star rating. So give it a try, you guys. Ring in the new year with less stuff in your home and more money in your pocket with Mercari. That's M-E-R-C-A-R-I, Mercari, the selling app. Hello, Sinead. Thank you so much Hi. for joining us today. All the way from, you're in Dublin right now? Yeah, I'm at home in Ireland. Oh this is gosh. such a treat. Thank you so much. Can I also just tell you that I, I come from an Irish family. My cousin is actually named Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? For real? Yeah. His name is Dublin, Ireland, Alexander. Isn't that so funny? I have many questions. <laughs> well, we could talk about that later. Yeah, I, I I want a whole episode dedicated to Dublin, Ireland. Do they want to come on my podcast? I really like the idea oh my of gosh. As Dublin, Ireland as an episode. He's actually an amazing... He uh, is one of my favorite people in the entire world. He's seriously wow. the best kid around. He's 22 now, but I still consider him like my, my baby cousin because he's the only baby I have in my family. <laughs> amazing. Well, the Irish word for Dublin is Balia Ohaclia. Whoa. And the Irish word for Ireland is era. So he could also be called Bali Ahaclea era, which I think we should get put on his passport. Oh, my goodness. I need to, I, if I could ever say that correctly, I would call him and just tell him that. <laughs> I'll send you a voice note. Yes, thank you. Sinead, I've been listening to your podcast as me. And one, I'm obsessed with it. You, you are so eloquent when you speak. I mean, the stories that these people tell are so touching and and incredible. I was also listening to the way that you question and you say, um, how would you describe yourself? Can I steal that from you and ask you, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, it's it's a question that I have loved for a very long time and also quite nervous of because I find it really difficult to describe myself. But it has this incredible way of 
disarming people. Because I think so often we're used to either people telling us who we are or what we are, that to do it to ourselves creates, in a way, such insecurity, because I doubt very many people are confident saying who they are proudly. Um, and I still struggle with it. I mean, we are almost to the mid-season of As Me with Sinead, and I've heard from so many incredible people. And yet, for me still, I think how I would like to be seen or how I'd like to describe myself is curious, kind, funny, but probably quite a dry, sarcastic (laughs) sense of humor. And I am a sister. I'm the eldest of five. I am a daughter. I am an educator. And I am an instigator of hopefully constructive but difficult conversations. And I think I'm empathetic and sensitive and... I think I just love both time on my own. I'm very comfortable in my own skin and don't think there are many people who are better than me (laughs) to spend time with. Um, Of course, coming from my own narcissistic perspective. (laughs) But I love surrounding myself with the people who I love most, who lift me up and challenge me when I'm not thinking as kindly as I should be. Um, So, yeah, if I was to describe myself I think those are the qualities that I hope that people who know me get a sense of and the people who don't know me that it kind of is a hint towards it I love that what about yourself I completely how do you describe yourself oh gosh I I was scared you were gonna ask me this question after I asked (laughs) I would say I'm a person who likes to create positivity when when they walk into a room I want to lift people up instead of bring them down. I was once, I I know that you said that um, you were a musical theater person. So was I. (laughs) And I remember an acting teacher one time telling me, Carly, when you walk into a room, you change the energy of the room. And she said, Uh whether you do it, whether you're in a bad mood or whether you're in a good mood, you really do that. You have that capability. And I think that moment in time made me realize, okay, I want to do it in the positive way. (laughs) That is something that I am able to do. Um, I'm also a sister. I have two older brothers. Um, I would say I'm, I try to be a peacemaker. Um, I'm not a person that is great at standing up for myself, but I'm learning. Um, I try to be a very loyal, a loyal person, a friend. Uh, my mother is my best friend. So I'm, I'm a daughter. I'm a mother. And I think I'd want people to remember me as putting a smile on their face and maybe making them laugh and and leaving better than the way they came in. That's beautiful. I love that. And I would have to it's agree gorgeous. with everything you said about yourself because I have personally experienced you in our relationship firsthand. And I would say, you, I feel like you described yourself well. Thanks, Jade. Your yeah. turn. Wow. My turn. Yeah. You don't get off the hook <laughs> by saying nice things. Um, gosh, I, I feel like I'm the oldest, so I feel like I've always been a nurturer and uh, a learner. I love learning. I love self-growth. I feel like I'm somebody who's very in touch with my own personal feelings and emotions and how that relates to the world around me and to others and my relationships. Um, I'm a mother. I love being a mother. It's my favorite thing. I love teaching as well. I love learning and I love teaching. I love teaching my children things. I love experiencing life in new ways through them. I think I'm a very sensitive person as well. And I feel like I'm somebody that people 
can come to you with their problems and because I feel like I'm a very good listener. I completely agree with all those things, too. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Jade, did you know all in all over $218 billion? Did you hear that? Billion dollars of food goes to waste in the country every year, including 20 billion pounds of produce. Is that not one of the saddest things you've heard in a while? I, I mean, it's almost like unfathomable how we're just wasting food. It's so sad. But Imperfect Foods is here to change that. Imperfect Foods is the only food delivery service that buys perfectly nutritious, delicious foods that grocery stores won't sell, and it delivers them to you at a discount so you can save money and help reduce food waste. It's just like the banana that might not quite look like a beautiful banana or the orange that might kind of look like a mango, you know? But it's still going to taste delicious. It's just not going to stack up like the orange pyramid should. Right. Well, and you know what? I got my first delivery and I served some of the food to my family and both Tanner and Emmy knew no difference. And we're actually making a difference by purchasing this stuff, taking our little carbon footprint and making it better. So I actually feel really good about using this delivery service. Absolutely. And you can start saving time, saving money and saving waste right now because when you go to imperfectfoods.com slash mommies now through February 16th, you'll get $10 off your next four orders. That's like $40 off, you guys. Just go to imperfectfoods.com slash mommies to get $10 off your next four orders. Imperfectfoods.com slash mommies and enter mommies at checkout. So I think you and I are both trying to improve our self-care and our self-care routine. Yes. Yeah, we always put ourselves on the back burner. I feel like Sometimes I, I mean, you know, sometimes we don't shower for days. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I just showered for the first time in a while today. It's actually really sad. But you know what I did do to, okay, when you don't shower for a while, you know, you get like built up skin cells that are really disgusting. And then when you schleff them off, your body feels amazing. I've been using the Frank Body Espresso Scrub and it has made, and not only is it fast, you just, it's like a, you just scrub it on, wash it off, and your skin feels almost like a baby's behind, Jade. That's how I'm feeling right now. I wish you could touch me because you would understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I feel like when you have smooth skin, you step out of the shower and you're just feeling good about yourself, you feel good about yourself all day. It's just like this confidence grower. And it's also safe for growing bumps or, and it's just good for any mama who doesn't have time to really like take a shower for 30 minutes. You just scrub yourself down and you're good to go. Your skin is flawless. Oh yeah. And it smells incredible. It gives you that little like pep in your step without drinking a cup of coffee. You feel like you're just rejuvenated. And right now you can try it yourself by using code mommy for 20% off or more information. Uh, visit frankbody.com. Again, that's 20% off any order over $35 at frankbody.com. And this offer will expire in late February, 2020. I listened to your episode, Sinead, of Good Kids that you did. And I love just how you described your relationship with your father and how you just said you had that person that was just like you that you could look up to and that he just loved you and you just felt so much love and that kind of shaped you into the person that you are today. What was it like? Could you describe what it was like growing up as a little person and exactly what your parents taught you? 
Yeah, I have achondroplasia, which is the most common form of dwarfism. So I stand at the height of maybe three feet five inches tall, which is about 105 centimeters. And the body that I live in has been instrumental to the person that I am and I think the ambitions that I've always had. And I think I'm extraordinarily lucky to have been born into genuinely the most incredible family. And my dad is a little person too. So to give you some insights into the kind of science behind it. So 80% of little people are born to two average height parents. And really what that means is that many of the people who are listening to this show could be parents of little people or may be in the future or may know people who are. So you don't have to have dwarfism in order to have a child with dwarfism. Hmm. But most of my friends are the only one who look like them in their family. But for me, I was in this incredible situation where my dad was a little person too. And it was never explained to me in a way that I was different growing up. Or even the language of disability was probably used later on. I was always just told, almost by example more than with words, that I was just like my dad. And that was such a powerful symbol of success in many ways. Because, I mean, my dad survived and thrived and he had this beautiful relationship with my mother. He had such an array of interests. He had these five children who were loved more than anything Mm. else. And to see my dad being proud to be who he was gave me permission to do the same. But I don't think I realized that until I was much older. I didn't realize the power of it. And my parents together are the most incredible people. You know, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to work in education from my first day of school. And I viscerally remember coming home from school on my very first day and loving it so much and telling my parents immediately that all I wanted to do when I was older was that I wanted to be a teacher. And their instinctual and only reaction was was one of support and one of celebration and one of affirmation that, yes, this was something I could do. And... I look back now on that moment and I'm not a mother. I don't have any children. But I realize as an adult, you know, my parents were younger than I am now when that moment happened. And at 29, I look back and I genuinely wonder if I have the bravery to say something like that to a child. Because I don't think it was my parents didn't believe that I would be a good teacher. I genuinely think that they were worried about whether or not the world would let me. Because I come from a belief of disability from a social and a human rights model, that it's not my body that makes me disabled. It's the world. It's due to the inaccessibility of the world and me as a person not being considered in how we construct it, very physically and symbolically, that makes my life more challenging than others. And I think my parents would have had concerns when I was four about whether or not the world we would live in by the time I was going to college would be more accepting and more accessible. But instead of actually ever translating that to me and allowing any doubt to grow and sprout, they were just supportive and said, if that's what you want to do, we'll find a way to make it happen. And they did. I love how you've taken your platform and just turned it into something for everybody too, that like your podcast as me, and it's just this platform that says you don't have to be anything else but authentically yourself. That's what the world needs. Yeah, I think a person looks at me and they see 
the body that I live mm-hmm. in. And in many ways, they probably assume the challenges that I experience or they have assumptions about who I am or what it is I can do based on where they've seen people like me exist before. But actually, I think I'm really lucky because from the moment you meet me or being exposed to me in whatever platform in whatever way, you already have to have some sort of understanding or curiosity about the supports that I need or how you may be able to help me. I don't have to explicate my greatest challenge to you. It's immediately obvious. And the whole premise of As Me with Sinead is this realization that we all struggle. Mm-hmm. We all experience challenges. Some are really obvious like mine and others are not. And actually what happens when we realize that those challenges and those struggles are universal? What happens when we realize that we're not alone? What's the possibility when we listen to a conversation with somebody like Florence Welch or somebody like Dan Levy, who has just written Schitt's Creek and who is an international singer with Florence and the Machine and who with every definition subscribes to the world's notion of normality. And yet here are conversations with them where they express what they're struggling with. And for the first time, you can see yourself reflected in these people and think, okay, If they can be brave enough to be themselves and realize the beauty and the value in that, why can't I? So powerful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. This is obviously a a mom podcast, although lots of non-moms listen to our podcast as well. But, you know, we talk about our feelings as mothers, as women, as humans. We talk about, you know, how to raise our kids properly. I Properly? Is there a proper way? No. But um, how to inspire them and and how to educate them. I think on your Victoria Beckham episode, you were telling a story about how, you know, if there was a kid in a grocery store, could you explain that story? Because I just, it was such a beautiful way of explaining how to, as parents, uh, have our children understand that we're all the same as well. Yeah, sure. I think for me, the moments in my life in which I am reminded of my disability usually happens in a place like the grocery store. That I'll be in an aisle buying avocados or something ridiculous <laughs> and a child will will see me. And in that space, they will make it very obvious to their parent or to the adult that they're with that they have seen me and they will do something like, look, there is a little woman. And the adult in that instance does a couple of different things. Usually the first thing they do is try to distract the child with something else that's on the shelf. And they will say, oh yes, that is a bag of chips or something. And they'll try to bring their attention elsewhere. And of course the child is far too smart for that. And the child will say something like, no, 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 look, look, there is a little woman. And then the parent shushes the child. And if that doesn't work, they physically remove the child from the aisle to somewhere else in the supermarket. And they do that for a couple of different reasons. Number one, they don't want to embarrass me. They think that it's probably the first time it has ever happened to me. It's not. This is part of my quotidian experience. And then they actually think it's an embarrassment for themselves. They think it's a reflection on their parenting. That how could they have raised a child who did something like this and created this embarrassing moment for everybody when they had raised them with empathy? I mean, how did this happen? And in that moment, the parent makes it about themselves, even unintentionally, instead of realizing, actually, the only thing that needs to take place here is a human conversation. Because by removing the child from the aisle, or by shushing the child, and not facilitating a conversation, 
that parent is unfortunately telling that child, unintentionally or not, that I am not something to look at, nor am I something to talk to. And unfortunately, there is no other moment in our society, nor in our education system, where we re-educate children about the socialization of disabled people or anybody who's different, where we inculcate a different type of conversation. So for me, when I talk to parents, I say it's really important that you embrace your discomfort in that moment. And you say to your child, yeah, that is a little woman. Why don't you say hello? And your child will wave and say, hi, my name is Ben. And I'll say, hi, my name is Sinead. And then immediately Ben is bored because he's like, oh, great. You walk, you talk, you sound like me. How dull. And what we have done is just realized the humanity that exists within all of us. But due to us often feeling powerless because we don't have the right language, because we don't want to say or do the wrong thing, we end up becoming apathetic and doing nothing, which actually reinforces these echo chambers that we have built around ourselves. So even in our best attempt to be inclusive, we can exclude people and do damage that it's difficult to undo again. And I think we just need to sit within that discomfort and embrace it and actually be human. I mean, even just you sharing that with me makes me understand like, my daughter's two and a half. We haven't really had those experiences yet, um, but I know yeah. that we will. And so it's just eye-opening for me to know how to approach that from your perspective because I probably would be that parent that felt like it was a reflection on my parenting. So thank you. It's, it's very, yeah. very important to share that. So thank you. And I think it's also taking a moment to realize that, you know, anybody who is in any way different or is, who is a marginalized voice in our society, it's that dual understanding of it's not everybody's job to spend their lives educating other people about how they exist or how they be to make the world better. But actually the value in doing so is astronomical because that one conversation that happens in the grocery store will impact and imprint that child and that parent and that person forevermore but realizing that we don't need to further the emotional burden on people by asking them to do greater work but I think by just saying hello can have such an impact it's it's incredible yeah I to I totally agree I love that story so much it's I when I heard that it was one of those that that hit me I was like oh my gosh because like I was saying that like Jade was saying it's the it's you think oh gosh did I did I teach this child you know, the inappropriate behavior. And if we all could just, you know, be, hey, yes, we're all, we're all one. We're all the same. Hey, let's all talk to each other and all communicate and all just love each other. But it's about time too, right? Mm -hmm. Because that happens so quickly. It's very true. And it's about our instinctual reactions and what we're conditioned to do and the biases that we have. And it happens in seconds, right? Your child points me out and in seconds you make a decision where you're like, no, this is not okay. Time mm -hmm. to get out of here. And actually, it's about taking a beat, being more mindful to yourself, to your child and to the people around you and going, OK, what should I do here? Instead of just reacting on instinct, because that instinct has been formed by years of things being the same. When was the moment in life that you became so open to, you know, I mean, I know you said that you wanted to teach and you wanted to educate people from an early age. But was there like a moment in life that you stopped and you said, I'm I'm, we're going to talk about this and I'm going to have people understand that I'm going to educate people on 
and on who I am and how I can help the world. Was there like a beat or a moment that you had like a, I'm going to be Oprah. I wish I could tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, there's time. There's always time. Um, No, Uh, I wish I could say that there was this revelatory moment, but my parents, going back to how incredible they are, founded Little People of Ireland when I was seven. Mm. Because not only did they want me to have a father who looked like me, but they thought it was important to have a whole community. And since 1997, they have built that community voluntarily. And we have an annual convention and social days and there's a sports organization attached to it. But very early on, it became really obvious that other parents were coming to my mom and dad and saying, our child is having a tough time on the playground. Kids are calling them names. I don't know what to do. The teacher feels like they don't have the right language. Mm. The principal feels like if they get involved, it's too severe. As a parent, I don't really want to go into my child's class to defend them because that impacts upon how they're treated by the rest of the pupils forevermore. Mm -hmm. And I don't really think it's my child's responsibility to have to go in there and defend themselves. And we're really at our wit's end here. Is there anything you can think of? And my mother, in her incredible, extraordinary wisdom, very flippantly said, Sinead's a teacher. Oh, she wow. can go. Oh, man, I and love your mom. And I was sent <laughs> on inaccessible trains and buses around Ireland to go into alien classrooms to facilitate conversations about what it was like to live as me in these schools wow. where there was little people enrolled. And then it became broader where I wasn't just asked to go to schools where there was little people, but just mainstream schools because what they realized was that the conversation that I was having with these students was as necessary if not more so with students who were attributed to every definition of normality and that's how it began and from there it was completely accidental and that then evolved to giving a TED talk in New York and then that changed everything and now I have a podcast where I talk about myself and use that as a vehicle to excavate the souls of people I admire (laughs) (laughs) where they can talk about themselves. And you have the ability to just open people up. I mean, you have that, I don't know, that essence about you that you're, even talking to you right now, you're you're so easy to talk to and you're so open to everything, which you, you crack people open. It's amazing. I think it comes back to being a teacher. You mm. know, my, my thesis was on the art of questioning in the primary school classroom and the ability for questions, particularly when you take away the bias. You know, the example that I'm really intrigued by all the time in teaching is, you know, not asking a child, like if a child is misbehaving, right? You'll often say to them, what are you doing? When you know exactly what it is that you're doing um, or what they're doing. Oh, yeah. And How instead, do we, yeah, what do we do? <laughs> Tell me what to do. Instead, like you're not like, what are you doing? And the child is obviously causing chaos because the kitchen is a mess. Right. Instead of asking, why are you doing that? Mm. And that gets a completely different answer because the child doesn't feel like you're passive aggressively lecturing at them when you can obviously see what it is that you're doing. Right. But instead they're like, oh, no, I've just walked in. Tommy was in here and he caused this mess. I just come in to get a drink of water. Mm. And that brings out a whole other response. And for me, that learning in the classroom, but then also realizing that as a disabled woman, I needed to cultivate empathy as a life skill because I relied on the kindness and the empathy of strangers in order to just go about the world and to scaffold accessibility wherever it was that I needed. So 
it was this useful bridge that I needed between me and everybody else. And I look at now that, you know, that was just something that I had to do in order to survive. But realizing the value in it when you're in conversations with people and it's a tool to help them be themselves. Jade and I are always like, what kind of questions should we ask? Now I like I'm like, oh, I need to get the cut, like cut to the core questions, not these surface questions. Jade, we're going to get do better. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're already you're already brilliant. You can excavate my soul anytime you like. <laughs> can we also talk about the fact that um, you were the first little person to ever be on the cover of Vogue? Yes. It's obscene, isn't it? That is the most amazing. I'm <laughs> obsessed with Vogue. Vogue is the greatest magazine there ever was in my it's heart. Great, right? <laughs> it's it's iconic. How did that happen? How did, how did you feel like that is it is it's completely iconic. So the long story that I will try to be succinct about is that I have been interested in fashion since I was a teenager. It was an industry that I felt tangibly excluded from due to never seeing anybody who looked like me either on the cover or the pages of a magazine or on a runway or just actually when I went shopping with my sisters, that because all of my sisters are able-bodied and non-disabled, they had access to clothes that I mm. didn't. And I felt that fashion was this powerful tool to tell the world who I was in a way that I didn't have to. And I'm sitting today talking to you in a white shirt that has billowed sleeves that's very Kate Bush, Ooh. Wuthering Heights-esque, yes. um, with very professional pants because I've just come from lecturing, and a pair of Gucci slingback loafers. And that will tell you something yes. about myself. What it does tell you about me, please don't tell me, um, but it will <laughs> give you some indication of who I was. But yet, for most of my teenage and adult life, I couldn't access it. Mm. So through a number of different arenas, I started writing about fashion predominantly with a blog and that led to TED talk and then led to me going to fashion shows and at the Burberry fashion show for Christopher Bailey's last one the seat beside me was empty and the doors were about to close and as they did somebody ran in and sat beside me and it was Edward Enville he was just newly appointed the editor-in-chief of British Vogue and he had been bringing diversity to the forefront of a magazine that really hadn't experienced it in a very long time and as he was about to leave at the end of the show, I tucked on the sleeve of his jacket and I introduced myself and told him that I was trying to have a conversation around disability and fashion and gave him my card and asked if we could meet for tea or for coffee or for lunch. He had never met me. He had no idea who I was, nor should he have. But he took me up on the offer and I went back and forth to London and we met and we had conversations. And from then, he asked me to be a contributing editor for Vogue. And then in April of last year, I got this very bizarre email with a headline that said please sign the NDA and can you talk to us Vogue have a question for you and I was like oh gosh what have I done <laughs> and I was on a busy street in Dublin and Vogue said that they were going to call me so I kind of tucked into one of the awnings of the stores and I said sure and I answered the phone and they said for the September issue this year we are going to have 15 women on the cover it's curated by a guest editor. It's the first time Vogue has had a guest editor and they are choosing the 15 women who they, they think are changing the world and they would like you to be one of them. Oh, I just got chills. How do you feel How do you feel about being on the cover of the September issue of Vogue? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, and then they told me that Peter Lindbergh was shooting the cover, an incredible photographer who I've always wanted to work with, who has since passed. 
And yeah, kind of on the same call, I told them that I was going to be going to the Met Gala the following month. And it was this ridiculous moment where you're standing on the street thinking, gosh, if 16-year-old Sinead could witness this, she wouldn't believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. No way. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. I really am just like sitting here with the biggest smile on my face because it's just, I mean, the <laughs> September issue of Vogue is just, I mean, that's that's it. That's the yeah. deal. Well, that's it. And, you know, I was the first little person to be on the cover of any Vogue magazine wow. ever in the world, in the history of the publication. But at the same time, the Vern Cox was on the cover with me. And it was the first time that a trans person has been on the cover of British Vogue. Mm. And if we go back to this notion of advocacy, of if you can see it, you can be it. Vogue is an institution. It is a symbol of the voices and the people and the bodies that we need to pay attention to. And if Vogue is validating these perspectives, then... For me, it goes back to like, think of the kid at home who is either in a hair salon with their parents and is picking up the magazine and is flicking through it or is an avid and religious reader of the publication. And for the first time, maybe doesn't even see somebody like themselves, but sees somebody different. And it either provokes a conversation or they think I could do that, which of course they can. But it just gives people permission to dream, I think. I love that. Um, One last question I want to ask you, Sinead, too, which is kind of a twist on the question we usually ask the mothers that come on our podcast. But I just love that you pretty much said, like, if you believe it, you can be it. And what piece of advice would you give us mothers? Because your focus is really on giving children a voice. Like, what piece of advice could you give us that's something that just, like, lets us be a part of that, that gives them that confidence that they can just be themselves completely for me it's always about encouraging a curiosity in children you know and I think as parents you can start by modeling that so if a child says something you know asking them why getting them to explain their thinking in the hope that they in turn will do that and be curious about the world and to not assume that things must be how they are to be willing to be challenging and facilitating a new conversation. But when it comes to parents in terms of what children can do, I think it's taking the lead from my own parents and be supportive regardless of what it may be or how impossible it may be. You know, if your child says that they want to be on the cover of Vogue, your automatic and only response should be absolutely wonderful. Yes, why not? Which issue would you like to be? Who would you like to photograph it? What would you like to wear on that cover of Vogue? Because your child may change their mind naturally tomorrow <laughs> or in six yes. months. But <laughs> don't allow your your own biases about the world to actually hinder that belief in themselves because who knows where they got that wish or that fanciful dream from. But actually by being supportive, you give them permission to actually think that they can do it. And it's then about encouraging that. It's then about, oh, you know, do you know if you wanted to really study fashion, do you know where you could go to college? You could actually go to college in these three places. Or did you know that Siobhan down the road has actually studied? It's not saying that things are impossible until they actually are. And then again, I think few things are impossible because even if the traditional route is more challenging, be it because of academics, be it because of access, there's always other avenues to explore things. And I think for me, it's just giving your children the courage to dream. And for you, again, coming back to this notion of discomfort, like that's about you. If you're uncomfortable with your child's dream because you think it's impossible, you're making it about yourself Mm. and just take a beat. 
and just say, cool, great. How can I help? Thank you so, so much for spending time with Pleasure. us. Pleasure. This um, is such a treat. Oh, it's a, it is a treat for us, for sure. Uh, where can um, people find you if they want to find you online, if they want to find your podcast? Absolutely. You can listen to As Me with Sinead, which is spelled S-I-N-E-A-D. It does not look nor sound how it's spelled. But you can find As Me with Sinead on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find me more or less anywhere on the internet at the Sinead Burke. I feel very inspired and um, we'll be listening along. So thank you so much, Sinead. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And when and if I ever have children, you ladies are my first port of call. You're going to get a list of questions. Get ready. (laughs) Sinead is my new Oprah. She, yeah, I agree, right? I just kept thinking like, like, I mean, we've talked about how I love Oprah, but I was sitting there having the same emotions and the same feelings of like, yes, yes, aha, aha. You know, those aha moments that, that Oprah gives. And I'm, I mean, it's, she's just so freaking inspiring. I really do think that there are people out there with certain gifts and you can tell that her gift is to teach. She is eloquent. She speaks her heart and her experiences with such like poignant, like, I don't know, like articulate points that it really can like touch you straight to the core. Like you were saying, like we were getting to the core of things. She's so good at that. Yeah. And I think it's so cool that she said that in college, her thesis was on, you know, the deep diving questions. Like yeah, it make, yeah. it really makes me want to do that with our guests more. Like, I mean, we, we're not like completely surface. We obviously go places, but like, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper into myself now. I feel the same way. Yes. I'm all about that. Maybe 2020 is about going deep. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's I dive agree. in. This is one of those episodes that uh, I'm going to think about for a long time. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and I hope you took something uh, away from it because we definitely did. And absolutely be sure to check out her podcast because it's so good. Yeah, and don't forget, you guys, to make sure you're subscribed to Mommy's Tell All and rate us if you love us. And we love you guys, and we'll talk to you next week. 